What's up and welcome to Groundbreaking, a friendly media original podcast bringing you the young creatives, redefining what it means to create and introducing you to tomorrow's leaders today. I'm Jake Brewer. Let's get started. Today's episode will go down in groundbreaking history because today's guest is nothing short of amazing. Meet Tony Shu, a recent Harvard graduate. Already this guy's pretty impressive, but he's also the co-founder of Break Time, a nonprofit social enterprise that elevates young adults out of homelessness through purposeful transitional employment and personal empowerment. And yes, I did take that right from Tony's LinkedIn, which I highly recommend checking out if you want to be inspired. But a great first step is to continue listening, because today we're talking about finding your purpose, remaining flexible, and handling success while also staying centralized on a mission of greater good. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Groundbreaking. I'm so happy that you're with us today, because this episode is one that I've been kind of crossing my fingers for, knocking on wood, hoping for, for a while now, actually. Um, I have a mutual friend with today's guest, and from almost the first day that we met, I heard so much about this guy, and then I finally did a LinkedIn stock, and I was like, okay. I was like, the, the bar is pretty high today, and so I'm really excited for this conversation. I think I'm going to learn a ton and I hope you will too. And I'm really just excited to jump right in um, and introduce you to today's guest. Because I mean, I the fact that I had to decide how I was going to introduce you is a very unique problem. And that's and that's a compliment too. It's an excellent problem to have. Um, but Tony Shu is our guest today. He's the co-founder of Break Time, which is right here in Boston, um, elevating young adults out of homelessness. It's backed by the city of Boston um, and just all casually dropped Forbes 30 under 30. Just yeah, because that's just a little subtle title that we can give our friend today um, and was also on the 10 outstanding leaders by Boston's Chamber of Commerce list. And if you want to just, you know, indulge in all the incredible accomplishments that he's had thus far, you can do your own sort of research. But today... I'm really, really excited to be welcoming a guest that I've been waiting for for a long time. Tony Shu, welcome to Groundbreaking. Thank you so much, Jake, for the intro. That was super, super kind. Um, and I am equally as excited to be here. Well, it's a very easy intro to prepare because you have quite the list of accomplishments. And I know, I, I, remind me, are you currently a student? This is, again, just a chill thing that we're going to talk about. Are you currently at Harvard or did you graduate Harvard already? Yeah, so I'm a graduating senior right now. So actually, two days before graduation. Um, no and way. All right. To, yeah, excited to wrap things up. Okay, so we'll just add that to the list. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I feel like if I were to go through everything, I don't think we'd ever be able to talk to you. So I know everybody listening doesn't want to hear me talk really anymore. Everybody listening has heard enough of my voice, especially over the past year. So go ahead and just kind of tell us too, because I really want to hear from you. I've pulled the pieces together of kind of what really your sort of mission is but today I'd really love to kind of dive into the overarching piece I mean you've you've been a part of so many incredible projects whether it be break time or all your work at Harvard um, and I'd love to kind of talk about you know the sort of general mission and objective that you feel especially now as a graduating senior when that's the big question that's on all of our minds but also how you sort of discover those sort of placements because I'll just kind of preface and say a lot of the listeners of the show are probably around at the same point as we are, or just like a little bit younger and, or, you know, sort of discovering, a, okay, what's the right sort of path. And you've definitely chosen um, some paths and made some really great decisions too. So I think diving into that would be great. But um, my original question, uh, what's, what's the overarching sort of goal and what really inspired all the work that you've done? Yeah, I would say that um, I think about that in terms of what is what I consider is my external purpose and what I would consider is my internal purpose. And, and I can share the story of uh, how I came to these, but um, I really do feel that my external purpose is, is working to build a world in which everyone has the housing that fulfills their need. And housing in, in particular is, is so interesting to me. It's, it's what I studied at Harvard because it's something that touches every part of your life. It affects your physiology and sense of safety. Um, it affects your community and, and, and where you're physically located. 
and your sense of belonging. It also affects your identity. It affects you know, how you view yourself and, and even uh, who you are and, and your worth. And so I think housing is something that's so special um, in that it's, it really affects every layer of human need. Um, and uh, it's something that I also see as, is a major challenge and, and crisis in our world in terms of uh, millions of people not having access to adequate housing. Um, and so that's really what I've oriented my academic journey and my, um, uh, I guess, professional and entrepreneurial journey around as well. Um, and then on the flip side, I, I really see my uh, internal purpose as just living with um, as much presence and joy as I possibly can. And it's uh, a constant process and evolution, but um, I really do care about mindfulness and meditation and just showing up in the spaces that I'm at, whether um, it's with you right now or in my classes or in uh, meetings at work um, and just really being here and not getting lost in um, dreaming about the future too much or not getting lost in kind of thinking about the past and, and thinking about how things could have been different, um, but just really focusing on, on where I'm at right now. Sure. I think, I think it's a really healthy mindset to have because I mean, I mean, I'm a graduating senior too right now. And, you know, four years ago, um, I wouldn't, could not have possibly even predicted where I am now. And so I think, you know, trying to shoot for who you are in four years is a really difficult sort of task, but I think you broke it down in a very sort of tangible way. Um, and already, if you don't mind, I'm just going to dive into like a, like serious more question. Um, I feel like just because of how, how much I feel like people our age and our generation as a whole has become a lot more actively involved in sort of our social contributions. Why, why do I feel like I don't know as much about housing equity as maybe other things? Like, um, I feel like, you know, if I were to be quizzed on like racial justice, maybe I could feel like a little bit more comfortable talking about that subject rather than, you know, housing inequities. And why do you have any sort of experience or maybe anything that you've studied is why maybe that is kind of more of a foreign concept. And that's just me. I don't want to speak for everybody, but even just hearing you talking now, I realized, oh, that's something I haven't really uh, thought about all too much. That's a really fascinating, I guess, question slash challenge that I've never really thought about before, but if I had to, um, I guess, hypothesize why that might be the case. And it's, it's actually kind of confusing because housing is something that we all know about. Um, and it's so pervasive in, in many of our lives. Um, I would imagine it has a lot to do with um, the pervasive negative stigma around homelessness or around not having adequate housing and that it's not something that um, is commonly discussed in, in spaces. And um, if you think about, you know, um, in your own mind, when you think of someone experiencing homelessness, what are the first things that come up in your mind? For a lot of people, it's, um, it's something they don't wanna talk about. It's something they wanna stay away from or, or hide or, or not think about. And I think that's what is perpetuating the lack of uh, clarity or the lack of discussion around housing issues. And I think a lot of the work we do at break time, we focus on employment and creating transitional employment and launching careers. But we also focus on changing the narrative around what it means to be someone experiencing housing insecurity. Um, and I was raised by a single mother who is an immigrant to the US. And when she first got here, she experienced housing insecurity herself. Um, and she views that not as something to be ashamed of, but as something that was part of her journey, made her stronger, and also inspired her to give back to her own community. Um, and so if we can shift the narrative around what it means to be housing insecure, but also recognize that it's not the defining feature about people, the young adults that we work with have their own dreams, have their own passions and skills. And the fact that they don't have a place that's stable to live in is just one uh, very unfortunate and tragic side of their lives, but it's not defining of who they are. Um, so I would say that we do need to shift the conversation around what it means to be housing insecure. And um, more importantly, just talk about this more. So I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about this right now. Absolutely. Just a quick question too, is housing insecure a better term than saying homeless? Or is, does that does it mean the same thing or not? It's a term that's just a bit more broad. Um, okay. So I would say um, either is fine. I, I would say the most important thing uh, to really think about is using people first language. So whether or not you're using homeless or housing insecure, always saying, 
people experiencing homelessness instead of homeless people. And that's such like a small um, shift in, in our language. And people experiencing homelessness is maybe a little bit more cumbersome to say than, than homeless people, but it centers the fact that these people are people first and yeah. homelessness is not a defining factor. It's simply uh, one circumstance that they're experiencing. Absolutely. Okay. That's really good to know, especially as we continue our conversation. So, I mean, you've done a lot to really combat this overall sort of issue that, I mean, a lot of, at least in my experience, a lot of the urban cities that I've lived in, especially are really facing. Um, Tell us like a little bit more about break time, because you kind of emphasize that employment is a huge sort of piece of it. And, you know, just like many other issues, it's, it's not really an overarching approach. It's like, what are the small little catalysts or factors that you can address that might, um, you know, ultimately change the overall issue? Right. So Break Time is a nonprofit based in Boston, founded in 2018. And our overarching mission is breaking the cycle of young adult homelessness. And the critical point of intervention that we focus on is employment. And I'll share more about how we how we got to that point, because that's not something that I knew about coming into college. But the first thing that I joined when I came to Harvard was started to volunteer at the Y2Y Harvard Square Homeless Shelter, which is a shelter for young adults experiencing homelessness. And it's quite unique in that it's completely student run. And so that's why it's called Y2Y, Youth to Youth. And it was there, um, you know, I was just going there for, um, to help out, but also uh, just to get a chance to talk with some of the young adults who were staying there and, and learn more about their stories and journeys and needs. And when I was there, I was really shocked uh, maybe I shouldn't have been, but uh, was surprised to see that every single person, almost every single person there cared about working. And if they weren't working, they were talking about, oh, this interview they had or this application they sent in, but they didn't hear back. Um, we learned that the number one case management session that was requested um, by the young adults at the shelter was about finding a job, not about finding housing. And so that tipped me off to realizing that stable employment is actually the most critical factor in achieving stable housing. And you can't separate the two. And that employment really is one of the levers for long-term change. And instead of a shelter, which is very valuable, but at the end of the day um, is only providing a temporary solution. um, How can we think about long-term solutions that get closer to the root of the challenge? And so it was at that shelter that I met my co-founder, Connor, Um, who has been working with me since day one and has been an incredible partner in this journey. Um, And uh, I recognized in him a similar spark of passion um, and a similar commitment to this issue. And so we started just talking about what can we do? We know we wanted wanted to be around employment. And so actually the first thing we worked on, um, which we worked uh, really hard on um, and and got quite far was, was working towards opening Break Time Cafe. And it was meant to be a coffee shop that would create uh, transitional employment opportunities. So it would create um, opportunities for young adults who maybe had gone through job training programs or who um, were looking for work, but still struggled to find a job because they never had any experience. They were obviously experiencing life instability and often did not complete their education. So a really challenging trifecta of barriers to employment. So we wanted break time and specifically that coffee shop to be a temporary transitional stepping stone. It'd be a job where you could really get experience, earn $16 an hour, um, and then move on to an even better opportunity. We got very far. We um, had leased our space, uh, hired our architect, got our building permits, uh, gone through uh, half of construction, and that was April 2020. Um, and our schedule, our, our opening was scheduled for May. And so because of the pandemic, had to pause and shut, essentially shut down um, that project uh, for the time being. And just briefly to share about where break time is right now and what we do yeah. right now is that um, in April, we spoke with a lot of our advisors and many of them told us that we should just hibernate, that we should wait it out, see where the pandemic goes, save our money and just um, hold on and pause. Um, but when we spoke with the young adults uh, experiencing homelessness, who we were actually planning to employ at the cafe, we realized and and heard that the pandemic clearly made things more urgent and difficult for their lives. And so at a time like this, break time could not just pause. While that might've made 
maybe more financial sense that did not make sense in terms of um, the people that we were working with and hope to support. And so we did a lot of uh, exploring as to what are other organizations doing? What are other community needs? What can we do with the resources, partners, um, and people that, that we have? And we essentially decided um, to launch the Double Impact Initiative. And this initiative at the, be at the beginning um, employed young adults uh, to use the, to work in the kitchen in our building to prepare hot meals for frontline healthcare workers and eventually families experiencing food insecurity. And we ended up employing in 2020, uh, 25 young adults who served over 700,000 meals to families in need all across Boston. And we worked with a number of different incredible community partners who helped us do a lot of the last mile distribution of the meals. Um, um, I ate and tested out the meals myself and, and they were very good quality and, and just kind of goes to show um, really the, the great work that our young adults were doing. Um, we were supported by the city of Boston for that work. And then going into this year, we recognized that a lot of nonprofits that we had worked with for this distribution told us that, you know, they want to expand their work. There's clearly a lot of community need right, need right now, but that their biggest barrier was finding um, incredible, talented and motivated employees and staff to work there. And so we have since continued to shift our model and now operate as a um, sort of staffing and training program where we partner with community organizations that offer purposeful work um, and train young adults to uh, fill those positions at community health centers, at food pantries and other organizations. And the key insight that we took away from the pandemic, the, the key insights, um, one of them was that purposeful work is incredibly transformative and that we don't want this to just be a job where you're doing manual labor, earning a wage. We want this to be a job where you can see the direct impact of your own work on the community you serve. And so it's not just break time staff that you know, get to feel like we're having an impact. It's actually the young adults that are employed by break time that similarly get to address food insecurity and hunger, community health and other urgent community needs. So that was a very um, important part of our model that we learned and incorporated. And then two, we recognized that the cafe um, was really just one avenue to getting towards our goal. And so going forward, what we're taking away from this in order to have the impact we want to have is staying true to our North Star, which is launching the careers of young adults experiencing homelessness and being able to let ourselves see the different pathways to that North Star. We were so dedicated and really attached to our first idea of the cafe, but when we were forced to let go of it, an even better type of model and arrangement um, kind of showed itself. And so I think that's just a reminder that maybe right now there's an, another better model that we could evolve into. It's just about being open um, and receptive to trying out different things. Absolutely. How quickly and how, I'm going to use your word purposely, you sort of flipped and said, okay, well, you know, the focus of that time may have not been the overarching mission. I think that's and that's very difficult to do because you said, you know, you talked to your advisors who were, you know, suggesting something different. And especially as a, as a student, how did you sort of get to the point where you're like, I, like, I think I like know, I know better than, cause than them, because I mean, the piece of advice we get so often is really, you know, find an advisor, like find a role model and really like have somebody to confide in, in that way. But you obviously had a different sort of realization or feeling or sensation so how did you kind of get comfortable with maybe straying from their sort of guidance and of course the most respectful way? Absolutely. It was not an easy process. And even though it happened quickly and even though in hindsight, it seems to have made all the sense in the world, in the moment, it was very much confusing, very much um, uh, a lot of uncertainty and fear. And so in terms of, I would say the process for how we came to that realization that we needed to adapt, um, the first thing we did was reach out to these advisors. And as you said, um, you know, they know a lot more than we do. And it's tough for us to say, oh, we know better. And that's not what we were trying to say. And it, we, we were receptive to the feedback, but were critical of what they were saying because we knew that they were not the people actually experiencing homelessness um, themselves. And so for us, the most important thing was balancing the feedback from our advisors who maybe had more experience running a nonprofit or running a business 
balancing that with feedback directly from the young adults that we worked with. And so we made sure, and, and we continue to make sure um, that we always engage young adults with lived experience um, in every part of our decision-making program development and even our fundraising. And so we have a youth leadership board comprised of 10 young adults who we meet with regularly who provide that feedback, insight, and decision-making. Um, and so those are the people that we consulted and learned that, okay, this is not something we can just wait out. We have to take action. So that was a small shift. That was a shift from uh, hibernating to let's take action. Then the next step was, okay, we wanna take action, but what is there that we can do during this time, given that everything's shut down, given that all we know is building this cafe. And so what we did was really just talk to as many people as we could. And a lot of our work, especially in the nonprofit space more broadly, it's all about collaborations and partnerships. Um, and I wish people recognized that from the start a little bit more. Often we think, oh, I'm creating something special. I have a unique idea. I can't share this out because someone might steal it. Well, actually, you know, if, if you really think that your idea has a lot of impact, you should be spreading the word to other people so they can also have the same yeah. doctor model, evolve your model. Um, and also, uh, again, you don't know everything. So seeing what other people have done or are trying is also a great way to boost and really augment your own learning and eventual impact. And so we spoke with as many other nonprofits and community organizations as we could find and connected with this organization that was working with restaurants and, and essentially fundraising money for restaurants to prepare meals for healthcare workers. And so it was just from that conversation that we realized we weren't even going to that conversation with this idea, but from talking to them, we realized, wow, maybe this is something we can do with our kitchen, with the young adults that we employ. So it wasn't super intentional. It was more, the intentional aspect was doing the outreach and relationship building and connecting with other people. And from that, you just have to trust that new ideas will, will spark and, and generate from that. Um, and then it was about mobilizing the people in our network. So mobilizing the, the staff that we still had who might be able to go in periodically, uh, mobilizing the young adults um, who we had promised were going to work at the cafe and taking it day by day. It, it wasn't uh, clear cut and, and, and organized in the beginning. It was very messy but you learn every day and you're, um, as long as you're going into it uh, with an understanding that your operation will change and evolve and continue to get better, um, you also learn not to be super hard on yourself and just to continue um, going forward step-by-step. Step. Absolutely. I am also really, really curious about the kind of conversations that exist, you know, from, from these young adults to employment. Um, how do you how do you sort of first introduce the concept to, to them? Because truthfully, I mean, we could talk all day about, you know, the impact that you've like had on a greater scale, but on a very like individual basis, how does the conversation sort of shift in terms of directly, you know, building that relationship with them and building that like trust with them too? Cause of course, I mean, you're doing incredibly well, but like, this is still very much a growing organization and too. And for somebody to place that sort of trust in you is, I mean, a huge honor, but also an incredible challenge too. So how do the, how does that conversation look like in maybe even pre pandemic and dare I even say post pandemic, I don't think we're fully there yet, but how have you sensed any sort of attitude change there as well? Right. So trust is absolutely crucial to everything that we do. And there's trust from all different stakeholders. And as a nonprofit, we have to recognize that we have a number of different stakeholders. There's trust with the young adults. There's trust with our staff. There's trust between us and our funders and then with our partners. And so there are so many different people and entities that we're working with and have to establish this trust with. I'll start with the young adults. It is very um, a big thing to ask that young adults trust us to be able to support them and work with them. And so a lot of it is starting small with a small group of young adults. And I think this is with um, any startup, any service, any innovation that you're building, always starting with kind of what is the smallest thing that you can test. And way back when, before even before the cafe, the first thing we tested was uh, delivering for catering, uh, catering um, uh, orders essentially. So we would work with 
local bakeries and, and food establishments, and we would hire young adults um, staying at Y2Y to help us deliver these, uh, these catering items. And that was like a very small test that we were able to do. And through that, build a relationship with the young adults in the community. Um, and also for ourselves to learn as much as we can about being an employer, about running an operation without um, uh, having to be too large and, and work with too many people. And so that has kind of snowballed to where we, we're at today. Our program model continues to improve. Um, and the biggest thing to building trust is having the young adults um, be ambassadors for our organization. And so we have a lot of alumni who have now come back and are working with break time. Uh, so one of them is on our uh, board. Uh, one of them is actively supporting us with writing blog posts. Um, one of them is uh, attending many of our meetings with fundraisers and demonstrating uh, the direct impact of the work that break time does. And so it can't be overlooked that trust takes time. But I think one thing we're doing is actually also supporting young adults in trusting the workforce and employment world in general, because a lot of young adults are so used to being let down and disappointed by rejections and people who don't see them as people. And so there's a lot of skepticism and fear and mistrust. And so um, for, for us to kind of be that um, stepping stone, as, as we always call ourselves, um, to easing somebody into the workforce, to being an employer who, yes, has high expectations and standards, but also has uh, compassion and empathy to support someone and understand that their lives are um, challenging and things will come up and maybe you have to miss a day because of an, of an emergency. And so we want to model what it's like to be a good employer, to be able to build trust with the young adults, to then help them move on to whatever the next step might be. Um, I'll also talk a bit about trust with our other stakeholders and particularly with external stakeholders like funders, partners. Yeah. And anybody doing anybody working in the nonprofit sector is going to know like that is a, such an unfortunate barrier to always have is, you know, trying to get funding because the ambition, and the passion is always there, but it's like, it's so awful how many or how often a barrier funding can be. Absolutely. And it took us, I would say, probably almost two years to get our first like major grant or donation. And, and we've gotten a lot of smaller grants, smaller donations, we did pitch competitions, but it took us two years to really uh, essentially close that first significant portion of funding. And, and maybe two years, not a long time, but at least in, in the span of my life, that feels like forever. Yeah. <laughs> as an impatient young person, it also felt like, wow, why isn't this uh, happening sooner? Why isn't this um, easier than, than, than it is? Um, but it takes time to build that credibility. And I think what funders and any external partner wants to see is that you've not only done your homework and understand the work like intellectually, which I think is what students are used to doing, but you're also able and have experience to operationalize that learning into practice with, for example, a pilot program with actual people that you've employed in, in some small way and have been able to pay wages and, you know, et cetera. So I think for us, it was a lot of incremental um, tests and incremental pilots that slowly but surely helped us build our credibility. And so we were able to go to funders and say, you know, we've done our pilots, we've now signed a lease, um, and here's all the things that we've learned, not just from reading books, not only just from talking to people, but actually from doing the work and also making mistakes. And so that was one thing is just demonstrating learning. Um, the other thing was demonstrating commitment. And that especially for young people, the biggest question that we get is, oh, is this just a school project? Is this something that, you know, if I give money to you, you'll do it for like three months, but then I'll never see it again. And that was one of the primary barriers we faced. And so I think that inherently takes time because it took us two years to actually get that first uh, large check. Uh, maybe it should have taken that two years because that was the time we needed to demonstrate to them, but also to ourselves, our commitment to this issue. So it takes really sticking around to it. And there also have been a lot of things that, you know, when I've been younger and even right now that I've tried out, realized after a couple months that it's not right for me. And that's okay too. And I think funders are just 
looking and waiting for the time where you've had that time of exploration, you've tried a couple of things, made some mistakes, and um, they want to wait for the point where they can clearly see that you are dedicated and committed to this for the long term. Um, the last thing I would say is there's ways to um, leverage things like media and other relationships to uh, help build that credibility. We were lucky enough to get a few large media features pretty early on because of um, the excitement around what we were building and our vision and our story. And so um, we were lucky enough to be able to use that to go into meetings and say, you know, our work has been featured in XYZ. And that was the boost of credibility that we needed that we didn't really have as young students. And so when you have opportunities like that, use that to the, to the most, whether that's in cold outreach, whether that's um, you know, using that, um, sharing kind of materials in meetings or over email. Um, and then finally, when you do get to a point of actually raising funding, uh, there is also a need um, and importance to uh, create a sense of urgency and also potentially even a sense of, um, uh, of FOMO and, and almost like scarcity in a way. Um, I would say that a lot of um, funders need to be pushed a little bit to see the, the, the kind of fast timeline as well as the clear milestones that you need to reach with the funding. Um, and so for us, it was going in and saying, you know, we have X amount of budget we need for this cafe. Um, we're opening in May. We also have a number of funders already lined up. So again, like leveraging like one funder to then catalyze other funders. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, we had a couple of funders lined up. Don't you want to be part of this moving train? And so inspiring them to get on the train before it leaves the station, right? Which is the analogy. Um, so kind of that's all about storytelling and communication, but there is a need to also create that sense of urgency, um, which a lot of people might overlook and just think, you know, funding is just about, you know, talking to people and submitting grant applications, but there's a lot of um, strategy behind it as well. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, we, I think we both are on the same page about, you know, you know, really getting funders excited and feeling like proving to them that that dedication is there is a huge part of your role. But I want to kind of ask you too, in those moments, personally, how did you convince yourself that this was the right thing to do or that this is going to be worth your time? Because I mean, the past year has challenged you in so many ways. What was like the message that you would tell yourself when you're, I don't know if you've ever questioned, like, was that the right choice or is this going to be the right choice? I think for me, knowing that this was what I want to work on and wanted to work on really stemmed from digging deep into what problems I wanted to address in the world. And I think um, sometimes we might think, oh, what is the job I want to do in this world? Like what position do I wanna have? What industry do I wanna be in? Whereas maybe a more um, interesting um, way to probe your life work and purpose is to ask what kind of problems do I wanna tackle in this world? And for me, um, working at Y2Y, knowing my mother's story and learning about housing through, through school and also outside of school really helped me recognize that housing, homelessness um, and, and urban issues in general is exactly the specific problem I want to tackle. And again, there are a number of ways to do that, but I knew uh, from the beginning, just the sense of excitement I had like deep in my core, um, which is hard to uh, verbalize and, and kind of uh, explain it, it with much clarity, but it was a strong feeling that, you know, I want to wake up and do this work. I want to send these emails. I want to talk to these people about um, what we're working on and what our vision is. Yeah. Uh, it was that sense of like continued excitement about building something that I think really resonated with like who I am at my core, which is, which is a builder, uh, like a, a creator and, and someone who just likes trying a lot of different things. Um, so I would say, you know, there, there will be a feeling. And if you don't have that feeling yet, like that's totally okay. Um, everyone is on a different journey and, uh, there should not be pressure to, to latch on to something or to, to grow an organization. For example, when we're so young, I think it's very important to spend the time and the energy to explore a lot of different things. And the advice that I've gotten is, you know, um, there are a lot of different 
uh, ladders to climb in this world, different types of things to do and careers. And you don't want to get to the top of the ladder and recognize that, wow, like I've been traveling down the wrong one. Um, you want to spend some time assessing the different options, really exploring things uh, to a certain degree before making your decision. And that exploration is, is totally fine. Um, but I would orient those explore, that exploration around the specific problems you want to solve and not the job or position you want to have. I agree completely. Again, I, everything that you're saying is, I think, an incredibly healthy mindset and definitely something that you've learned over these past couple of years. But I'm also really curious to ask too, have you had, and if you have had, what was the moment where you like felt really, really proud of your work? Like, where did you almost have to stop yourself and go, I, th- I think I, j- I think I just did what I set out to do. Hmm. That's a great question. I think I do sense that feeling or I do, I have had that feeling at multiple t- points throughout the journey, but also I often forget the, the impact that, um, that yeah. our work has. And it's not, um, it, it, it is something that obviously I do think about, but, um, as someone who it can sometimes be critical to myself, um, is not something maybe I, I recognize or, or spend enough uh, time and energy really like contemplating, but I would say the the first point, I think, um, I think there is always a moment when um, it's not just you believing in a vision, but you get kind of that first person to also buy in and want to carry forward the torch with you. And so like one of the first moments that I really felt that was when I started working with Connor, my co-founder, and just recognizing that like, wow, like someone else shares this vision, shares this passion, shares this fire, and is like really interested in um, committing to this with me. And so that was like the very beginning, right? Like we hadn't even done anything yet. We didn't even know what we were doing, but just to have someone who recognized uh, the importance of addressing this challenge in the same way that you do um, was very powerful. I would say the next moment is when we were able to employ our first young adult through our pilot program. And it was, you know, really non uh, sophisticated of a, of a pilot program, really just a small test that I mentioned with catering, but we were able to actually work with somebody and see the transformation in their eyes when they were able to earn a wage and specifically with those catering deliveries, actually get to interact with people that we were serving as customers and to have that face-to-face was, and to see how powerful that was to see the young adults feel like they were part of something more um, was super, super powerful. Um, so I would say it's, you know, the, that feeling of, of feeling proud really stems mostly from people and my experience talking with people, working with people, seeing people's faces, which has been in many ways, very difficult during the pandemic. But, um, I try to maintain as much face-to-face with, uh, the people in our community, because that's when I feel most connected to the work and, as the leader of an organization, it's often easy to get trapped or to get distracted by emails and uh, conferences and, and meetings uh, that aren't related to the direct kind of young adults or people that you're working with. And so it's just a reminder to stay truly proximate to the work that you do, even when that might not be the thing that you like most urgently need to do, because staying proximate is what will not only help you recognize um, that impact, but more importantly, help you learn as much as you can from the people that you're working with to be able to make the adjustments you need to make to start new programs and to have even greater impact. You are absolutely right in, and I've definitely learned this over the past year too, of really just the desire to learn is best like sort of executed in, you know, just really just talking to people about it, having a really sort of firsthand role in sort of educating yourself in that way. I'm curious if, if you have any other recommendations in terms of education for anybody else listening right now, who maybe feels a little bit inspired to learn a little bit more, whether it be about your organization specifically, or just, uh, well, what's going on in my community that I should be a part of? Is there any sort of maybe healthy mindset or specific resource that you would recommend there? Yeah. If you learn, if you're interested in learning about our work more specifically, uh, you can reach Breaktime at breaktime.org or on Instagram at Breaktime. So super simple. 
but to your larger question uh, for other young people listening, how to get engaged, how to learn as much as you can about uh, the different uh, challenges and opportunities our, our world is facing, uh, the best way is to reach out to an organization in your local community to see how you can help. Um, and I would say that the transformative turning point for me was working at the Y2Y shelter and actually getting a chance to see people and talk to people. There's only so much you can learn from watching videos or reading books. Really, it comes from people. And now that the world is opening up again, really putting yourself out there. A lot of organizations do need help, whether it's food pantries or youth serving organizations or education organizations. Um, and I would just cold email people. Uh, we've had cold people cold email us at break time and they've uh, gotten onto our team and uh, have really been impactful uh, members of our, of, of our community. Um, sometimes we have to say, you know, we just don't have an opportunity available at this time, but we'll keep you in mind. But we really found that like cold emails, even for our work are, is really the way to go because as students, uh, people are interested and excited to help you. They want to see you learn. They want to see you grow. They know you're in that time of life where learning is the most important thing you're doing. And so don't be afraid to say like, I'm a student um, at XYZ. I'm interested in the work you're doing because XYZ, are there any opportunities to get involved? Like that is super, super powerful. And, and just don't be afraid to reach out. Um, I would also say a lot of it, um, a lot of learning that, I've really been interested in for the past several years have, have has really been like internal learning and learning about myself um, and my spirituality and my habits and um, just who I am. And I don't think it's an ever, ever kind of like a finished uh, product or journey that you arrive at, but I think it's one of the most exciting and also meaningful things is to really um, spend the time and energy turning inwards and looking inwards about the problems that you care about, about um, what you've noticed about the types of environments that you flourish best in. And so a lot of that comes from, for me, it's journaling every single night. It's having a regular meditation practice. I do 20 minutes um, in the morning right after I get out of bed. And so figuring out what are these practices uh, that work for you is so important at this early stage in our lives, because we have hopefully a long life ahead of us. And so uh, the, the seeds that we plant right now will have tremendous impacts uh, down the road. So figuring out what those practices are and, and sticking to them. And then the last thing I'll say is understanding that learning and growing and making an impact is always uh, a step-by-step -step journey. And you should not expect to uh, change the world overnight. Um, you can set the intention to change the world. And that's like an incredible shift that you can do overnight, but actually making that change takes a lot of time. And for me, um, one thing that's been helpful is to recognize that like uh, the best thing I can do is just take baby steps every day and not break the chain. And the chain is just like one day of, of doing something that furthers your mission, whether it's reading something insightful, talking to someone new, sending out that email, um, just doing something every day just to keep the ball rolling um, has been like the best, one of the best habits that I've developed. And one other thing that I like to think about is if you make just a 1% improvement in the work that you do or 1% or improvement in your learning, for example, um, I think the math works out to after 75 day, 72 days, if you consider compounding, you'll have twice the amount of, you know, whatever it is learning um, or, uh, you know, habits or skills that you had when you started. So 72 days, you can double if you just make a 1% improvement every day. Like think of how much you can learn and grow over the span of years and decades. Like it's incredible. Like it's absolutely different. And as Jake, you said, like four years of college, um, as we're both looking back, like I'm sure we're both recognizing just like how much things have changed in, in just four years. And I think it is because incremental improvements add up to really transformative change. And so don't be afraid to um, really just do little bits of work every day because they, they do eventually add up. Absolutely. You just answered my last question too, because you're that cool. And of course you would answer a question before I even ask it. Um, but uh, I think, I think that's, I think it's a perfect sort of really 
and really interesting way to sort of break it down because I mean, especially again, at that point where we are, it's like, there's a whole different sort of mentality entering the quote unquote real world versus the protections of like a school and a university. Whereas like, you know, as a student, you're always like, Oh, I'm always one step ahead if I'm, you know, working on something, but now it's like the world's your oyster. So it's like, you know, like it's hitting, it's hitting me hard if, if you can't tell. Um, but, uh, the last question that I always ask that you basically already answered and I'll, if you really want to add on to it, of course, I'll let you, um, is really just, you know, I think a lot of the times that we sort of ask for advice and hear things, especially in forms of media like this is we get very surface level, um, piece of advice, like, you know, follow your heart, trust your gut, like those sort of things. But then when it comes time to actually work and like really activate on this passion, I'm like, I don't know what the first like logical step is. Cause we always talk about this sort of endpoint. Um, but I love your sort of objective of, okay, just 1% every single day, because that sounds so doable. Like, I'm like, oh, I can learn and do 1% more like, but you're right over the course of however long, like that's gonna, you're going to feel that insane growth, but it, it's so much more practical and feasible in that sense. So I really, I really like that. Actually, I'm going to use that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and that's something that, you know, I learned from um, a really wonderful mentor. So please keep passing that along. We got to share kind of the insights um, that we've collected over our time and, and keep that kind of flow going. And maybe the last thing that I'll add is just for any other um, people interested in, in, in doing good in the world, starting their own projects, being a change maker, um, recognizing that you are good enough and worthy to be doing this work. And I think that a lot of, there's a lot of fear that, oh, I'm not qualified. I'm not ready. I'm not informed enough to be able to do this work. And those are great questions to ask yourself because I'm sure there's a lot that you can learn. There's a lot that everyone can learn, but you have to recognize that there will never be a point in your life where you feel completely ready to do whatever it is that you want to do. And so um, recognizing that there is no perfect time. There is no point when you're ready. And so you really just have to get started with the smallest step, which could just be learning, talking to people, um, trying out uh, a small pilot of what you want to do. Um, and so the most important thing is if you feel compelled to take action, if you feel that spark within you, um, just start because there's no point in deferring those dreams um, for too long because uh, again, you only have so much time and so many, uh, so many hours. And so just uh, dive into it as soon as you feel compelled to. And that is the perfect way to end an episode. Seriously, Tony, my friend, you are so incredible. And I really, really appreciate the transparency and the, this sort of adoption of kind of what I really feel like our generation is doing in the sense of just being like, oh, like I'm like, I'm still like learning along the way. There's no, there's no need to paint this sort of facade of I'm perfect where I am and everything's going great. Like there's almost no need to do that. And so I really, I really, really appreciate that truthfully. Um, and the, the last sort of thing, I want to give you like a minute just to share with us, like you're sort of, I mean, you, you talked about spirituality a little bit. So I'm going to ask you like, what do you really manifest for break time and yourself and all of the work you do? Like I asked you if you've had like kind of a proud moment thus far, but like what moment is like the, the vision or the specific sort of really tangible piece that makes you go, this is why I do what I do. And this is where I want to be. Like what defines success for you? There are a couple different answers. I think one um, that I would love to see our organization um, reach is expanding our work beyond Boston. And I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities to work with uh, the government to be able to do that because the work that we're doing addresses homelessness, youth empowerment, workforce development, and even things like hunger and community health. So kind of really tackling a lot of community priorities. And so we want to see our work really institutionalized uh, by partners like the government. But on a more personal level, I think what success looks like to me is setting off a positive chain reaction. And I've seen in my life and from my mother's life, how one helping hand, one person who gives you a job opportunity has really had an impact on my mom, for example, my mom's life trajectory and her career, which then translates into the trajectory of my life. And so recognizing that, the, the kind of domino effect that you're setting off uh, continues on 
for a long time, for generations. And again, small interventions that um, help someone can have the potential to change someone's entire life. And so to me, it's just seeing the process of that positive ripple effect play out in the people that I see, but also knowing that it'll continue on long before or long after I'm gone and can't see it um, is something that um, I'm both proud of, but also something that I look forward to continue um, to, to do and, and set into motion. Well, you're on the right path. That I can at least tell you. Um, I really want to thank you again for your time today. I, I learned a ton and I, I really, I was inspired by your story before I even met you through a screen, but now, but now like I'm, I'm really, really impressed and truthfully so proud of the work that, that you're doing. It's, it's really, really incredible. And I'm so glad that you feel a tangible sense of the accomplishments that you have, because that's so well-deserved. So thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. And I really hope everybody else enjoyed too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jake. It was awesome to be here and I appreciate you listening and your thoughtful questions. Of course, anytime we'll have to have you back in. Well, I would say whenever, whenever you've got the next update, but that could be next week for us. So we'll, we'll touch base again soon. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Jake. Thanks again, Tony, for being with us on the show today. It was truly so great to have you. Be sure to continue connecting with Tony by following at BreakTime and visiting them at BreakTime.org if you want to be a part of their mission. Well, guys, we'll see you next week for another new episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming service and follow us at Friendly Media. That's F-R-N-D-L-Y on all platforms. You can also follow me at Jacob Wittenberg. All links are in the description, so it's nice and easy for you. That's all for today, folks. I will see you next time for some more groundbreaking. Groundbreaking is a Friendly Media original podcast. All opinions in today's show are my own. For more and to connect with our show, visit FriendlyMedia.com.